Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast from home. Thank you uh, so much to all of those who were able to make it out to to the protests last week. Um, last Sunday we did a protest, started from the church, and we walked down to the corner of Sepulveda and Devonshire uh, with each other and with members from our community. We met new friends. Uh, shout out to Hope's House for, for coming out even uh, after church. Um, they do church at 9.30 in the morning and then uh, a bunch of them came out and uh, it was just it was just a really great experience to to see everybody and to um, to protest for for black lives and uh, the dignity of our brothers and sisters. So thank you so much to, to Josh Trujillo for for setting that up and doing so much of the work to get that going. Um, we're still in the midst of uh, the pandemic, you know, despite what uh, a lot of the cities are doing. A lot of the states are obviously opening up at this point. And um, I think the last time I checked, it's around 115,000 Americans have lost their lives uh, due to COVID-19. So we're very much still in the midst of this. And I know a lot of people are, are asking and kind of wondering what our plan is for, for reopening and we're we're just not planning on reopening at this point. You know, I'd always kind of said that I would look at the CDC guideline, which would recommend that there would be a 14 day average decline in cases and decline in deaths. And we know here in California that those cases continue to go up. the The death rate has has kind of flattened, but um, it still persists. It's, it's still a problem. Um, just as much so as it would have been a month ago or six weeks ago. Um, there's a lot to still be cautious about. So if, you know, we know that we have to resume some semblance of activities uh, just with work and, and the demands of life, but if we can be a source of um, safety and care and concern where we, where we don't invite uh, the possibility for for people to contract the virus then then we're going to continue to do that until things change and so that's kind of always been our position that we would really wait and see until things uh, shifted and really they haven't uh, cases have steadily increased and uh, you know some people say that that's due to increased testing but uh, that's not that's not the whole story that might be part of it but um, the virus is is still out there and we still want to be mindful and and take care of each other uh, in that way uh, this week is the the first week officially in ordinary time which is the longest liturgical season by far of the church so ordinary time is the liturgical season that goes after Pentecost all the way to Advent. So Advent this year is November 29th. So we will be in ordinary time and probably predominantly in the Gospel of Matthew uh, from now until the end of November. So buckle in. Uh, I just wanted to say happy Pride Month. This is the first uh, sermon that I'm doing during Pride Month. So happy Pride Month to everybody. Uh, we love and appreciate uh, the voices in our community and in our lives uh, of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and we would not be the same without you, and uh, we love you so much. And if you have time, I'll post a link to it. If you have time, uh, Andrea and I did watch the uh, first episode of the new season of Queer Eye, where they had um, they 
they had a gay Lutheran minister on on there, and they transformed his church. They transformed his whole look, and um, he was telling his story about being um, coming out as uh, as a pastor and what that experience was like. It was a very very moving episode, uh, so I highly highly recommend that. Okay, let's get into the gospel reading. Like I said, we're in the first week of Ordinary Time, so we're back into the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew uh, 9 and 10. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep, the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. The word of the Lord. All right, this morning, uh, I want to talk about anger, care, and love. Um, probably like many of you, I've been thinking a lot about the the protest last Sunday that we were able to, to take part in. I know many of you have uh, attended and gone to other marches and protests, and I've just been so inspired by uh, the outpouring of uh, love and support and the displays of anger and frustration. And so I want to kind of think about uh, this, this passage of Jesus calling the disciples to go out. And the way that we have seen so many people all across our country and world, go out. And I want to think about it through the question of what do you care about? Because I'm not sure there's a time in modern American history where we have seen such an outpouring of care and concern. And I want to look at the link between that kind of care and concern and anger, and a theology and anger, and how those things actually relate. Because I think one of the things that um, gets confused is um, some people seeing the protests as angry, and then other people seeing the protests as deeply inspiring. And I don't think it's it's one or the other. I think there is obviously anger, but in that anger, there's a deep form of care, uh, and that which reminded me. So I thought I'd heard several years ago, someone said that anger is the sincerest form of prayer. And so whoever said that, I've been ripping off of you for years, that anger is the sincerest form of prayer. And then when I was looking that up, 
the poet David White has has a similar line where he says, anger is the deepest form of care for another, for the world, for the self, for a life, for the body, for a family, and for all our ideals, all vulnerable and all possibly about to be hurt. And I thought that was just a beautiful line. And maybe that's where I ended up, um, you know, getting the anger as the sincerest form of prayer from. Uh, but nevertheless, that anger is the deepest form of care. So when we think about this week's question, uh, what do you care about? And then think about how is that care and concerned uh, embodied in your life? How is that care and concerned um, impact the way that you live and move in the world? And one of the great ways that we've obviously seen collectively that happen is we can rally and move into the streets with very specific demands. And we've already seen the fruit of that. We've already seen so much of the conversation change. We've already seen uh, policies that are being talked about that wouldn't otherwise be talked about that are going to keep people safe, hopefully, in the future. Uh, that anger is the deepest form of care. And so when you see people rallying in the streets and sometimes angry, uh, let's, let's theologize about it and think about, well, what do we care about? And as Christians and people that, that think theologically, what does God care about and what does Jesus care about? And I was reading some of the theologian uh, Barbara Holmes this week because uh, Rohr's meditation had, uh, had some selections from her. And she wrote in the Center for Action and Contemplation magazine in 2018, and she says this about anger. Many spiritual traditions warn us against anger. We are told that anger provides fertile ground for seeds of discontent, anxiety, and potential harm to self and others. This is true, however, when systems of injustice inflict generational abuses upon people and communities because of their ethnicity, race, sexuality, and gender, anger as righteous indignation is appropriate, healthy, and necessary for survival. Until the killing of black and brown people stops, all peaceful methods of resistance are appropriate. Right now, our anger is our truth, and our anger is a sacred part of our humanity and our faith. Uh, you know, and that's so well said. And ang- and it re- you know just reminds me that anger is a natural expression, human expression of feeling the pain of our world. It's a natural expression of feeling that pain of our world. That um, it's a righteous indignation that's appropriate and healthy. Uh, she write she wrote in the uh, the meditations this week, thinking about a theology of anger. She says. Uh, first, a theology of anger invites us to wake up from a hypnotic influence of unrelenting oppression so that individuals and communities can shake off the shackles of denial, resignation, and nihilism. Second, a theology of anger can help us construct healthy boundaries. Finally, a healthy expression of righteous anger can translate communal despair into compassionate action and justice-seeking. The question is whether or not we will recognize our wounds and the source of our anger so that we can heal ourselves and others and awaken to our potential to embody the beloved community. And uh, that is a great framework, I think, to work in um, and to awaken the potential to embody the beloved community. And I think that's what Jesus is uh, doing in this text. He's, he's gathering the disciples to send them out in a particular way of being in the world. 
you know, the, the tr- tradition of Jesus, there is a need for anger, and there is a path for us to walk through it in healthy practice. Um, you know, so much of our uh, American Christianity, probably, and cultural influences uh, tell us that we should never be angry. I don't know if anybody comes from a, a Christian background where, um, you know, you, you were just not allowed to be angry. Uh, I feel like that was kind of swirling around um, the culture where I grew up, where it's like, just suppress your anger, don't be angry or be passive, you know, be passive aggressive if you're going to be angry, that kind of thing. And so what what is a healthy embodiment of anger as care and concern and awakening this imagination for the beloved community? What could that look like? How could we harness our anger with uh, a level of clarity, action, and care where we're actually creating something um, in the world. What do you care about? You know, what does what does God care about? What does Jesus care about? Care about? And as it relates to a theology of anger and its particular importance for our cultural moment, it's important to contemplate. You know, what kind of God? What kind of God would God be if God were not angry at widespread and systematic injustice? What kind of God would God be if God were not angry at wide systematic injustice? Like, it's okay to be angry. You know, Jesus uh, overturning the tables in in the temple is a story that comes to mind. And, you know, many scholars will, uh, you know, say that this perhaps led to his arrest and execution, that Jesus' political demonstration, turning over these tables in the temple, um, that was a religious and political demonstration of anger and concern, and it you know potentially led to his arrest and eventual eventual execution. Um, the The writer Bill Plotkin has a similar and I think helpful framework for us to think about uh, mature anger. What I would say uh, you know call the theological anger that we're talking about. It involves three things: clarity, constructive action and compassion. Clarity, constructive action, and compassion. So clarity would be um, the ability to take a look at ourselves, to, to take a, a moral inventory, look at why we're angry, to, to know, uh, to see that we're angry, to know that we're angry, and then to look at the source, you know, as Barbara Holmes says, uh, to realize that we too have the potential to be complicit in, in violent systems that we're condemning, that we're not immune to perhaps what we're angry at. So clarity is taking a moral inventory of who we are and how we move in the world. Again, what it's kind of the what do we care about, having clarity around what am I angry about. Uh, secondly, constructive action is largely what we've witnessed uh, you know, in our community protests last week, what we've seen organized all over the country for three straight weeks, collective and constructive moral action around angry. So we see that something is not right, we need to develop constructive action to make it right. Collective and construction, constructive moral action is step two. Um, so that would look like a list of demands for police reform or ending the variety of strictures that institutionalize racism and oppress those in our society. Uh, you know, our, our buddy Richard Rohr would say uh, that the best criticism uh, to the bad are practices and actions of the better. The best criticism to the bad are practices and actions of the better. Constructive action. Lastly, compassion. Uh, We have to be witnesses and participants 
like within our anger that amounts to compassion. Uh, Dr. Cornell West had a beautiful expression of this while talking to Anderson Cooper on CNN. Uh, let's take a listen to this. It was a heavy day, my brother. And uh, yet I was buoyed up because I saw in the hearts and minds and souls, not just of the Floyd family, but of the church, of the music, the preaching, a love, not one reference to hatred or revenge. It was all about love and justice. It's in the great tradition of the best of black people, a people who have been hated chronically, systemically for 400 years, but have taught the world so much about love and how to love. You saw John Coltrane's love supreme in that church service. You saw the love of the children on Marvin Gaye's What's Going On and Toni Morrison's Beloved. You saw Mama raising in the sun of Lorraine Hansberry. White America ought to give black people a standing ovation that after 400 years of being terrorized, we refuse to create a black version of the Ku Klux Klan. After 400 years of being traumatized, we want to dish out healers. That's Frederick Douglass. That's Martin King. That's Curtis Mayfield. That's Fannie Lou Hamer. What is it about these black people so thoroughly subjugated but want freedom for everybody? That's a grand gift to the world right in the bowels at the center of an American empire that is enslaved. Jim Crow, Jane Crow, lynched them, still dishing out these love warriors. Wow. Cornel West is phenomenal and reminds us that the great tradition requires a level of healthy anger, clarity, constructive action, and compassion. That love and anger are, are really, when they're healthy, expressed, the same thing expressed differently, uh, that Jesus cared about justice and I think that's what we see in the text today, that uh, Jesus cannot do the work alone. So he calls the 12 disciples and sends them out to do his work, to be embodiments of... I don't know if you can hear, <laughs> hear the sirens. Uh, to be embodiments of love in the world. Um, compassionate action, you know, it doesn't dismiss the anger, but it turns it upside down and uses it as fuel for, for transformation and change. And we talk about it all the time in Mission Hills, that Jesus turns the world upside down, that the kingdom of God is... Wow, that's really intense. I don't know if you can hear those sirens, but wow, that's a lot. Um, you know, I often quote Rohr's line uh, where he says, you know, pain is not transformed, it's transmitted. If pain is not transformed, it's transmitted. Uh, and that's what Jesus is doing. That's what Cornell West is beautifully teaching us about, is how, how we learn to see our pain transformed transformed into love and justice. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Cornell West's quote that justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. That what we're going through right now is, is a time of tremendous pain. It's very, very obvious that um, we're, we're going through so much. 
But this is also a time for, for that pain to be transformed and for something of compassion and love and justice to, to be embodied and to come out on the other side of all of this. And that, um, that's really what the Jesus tradition is. And I want to think about all of this, especially with the text today, that that's actually what Jesus is calling the disciples into, a life of healing and justice that something in the world is not right. And it is our responsibility in the Jesus tradition to make what is not right, right. To make a crooked road straight. Um, Barbara Holmes was talking about uh, this week the contemplative aspect of uh, Christianity and uh, contemplative, uh, uh, contemplative action. And she wrote, the civil rights marches of the 1960s were contemplative, sometimes silent, sometimes drenched with song, but always contemplative. This may mean within the context of a desperate quest for justice, the weary feet traversed well-worn streets, hearts leaped into the lap of God, like a spiritual earthquake, the resolve of marchers affirmed the faith of their foremothers and forefathers. Each step was a reclamation of hope unborn. Each marcher embodied the communal affirmation of already not yet sacred spaces. The sacred act of walking together towards justice was usually preceded by a pre-march meeting that began with a prayer service where preaching and singing and exhortation prepared the people to move forward toward the hope that they all held. This hope was carefully explicated by the leadership as a fulfillment of God's promises. As a consequence, the movement that spilled from the churches to the streets was a ritual enactment of the communal faith journey towards the realm of God. The end result that was that a purportedly Christian nation was forced to view its black citizens as a prototype of the suffering God, absorbing violence into their own bodies without retaliation. By contrast, stalwart defenders of the old, old, the old order found themselves before God with fire hoses, whips, and ropes in their hand. The crisis created by contemplative justice-seeking guaranteed the eventual end of overt practices of domination, for domination could not withstand the steady gaze of the inner eye of thousands of awakened people. Ooh, wow. Um, that is, there's a lot there, but that is beautiful. Um, I'll post the, I'll post the quote if you want to go back and, and read it again. Uh, marching towards hope and marching towards justice. Marching towards the promises of God that already not yet sacred spaces. Uh, you know, the, everybody has said it this week, but you know, the LAPD budget, $3.1 billion. While we have somewhere in the realm of 60 to 70,000 homeless living in our streets, you know, we look at this and we're probably stirred to hopefully a little bit of anger that this is not the kingdom as Jesus envisioned it. Why, why are we angry about that? Why would God be angry about that? How do we live in complicity of that system that doesn't allow for the dignity of people? So when we think about our own anger, the anger that we feel within our bodies, the anger that we have towards 
uh, our leaders, the anger that we have towards systems and uh, institutions of racism, how do we gain clarity, move into constructive action, join the great tradition, feel the call uh, of Christ into the streets, and then how do we move in the world with compassion, the kind that keeps dishing out love, as Cornel West said. You know, there is a, there is a chant that uh, has rung in my ears all week from last Sunday, and it was the whose streets, our streets chant. You know, our gospel text this week, Jesus calls the disciples to go out into the streets and to go into people's homes. Why? Why? Why would he call the disciples into that kind of life? What did Jesus care about? And Jesus gathers this community in care and concern and probably some anger to go out into the world in compassion and love to demonstrate and then create a new kind of world to transform the pain and suffering. Uh, you know, he says, go and heal, bring justice. Um, healing, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to be more human, how to heal humanity. Jesus seems to care deeply about becoming human, teaching the others to see their own humanity, and then about bringing justice and grace in the material reality in which Jesus lived. Uh, Bob used the phrase a few weeks ago, to make the world right. Because in making the world right, there are actions that declare that there are, there are parts of the world that we currently live in that are wrong and unjust. To make the world right inherently involves a healthy anger, our work within that, and an integration of the things that we care most about with clarity and constructive action and compassion. And I think this is Jesus' invitation to the disciples to go out into the world and make it right, to bring the kingdom of God, to heal, to take care of the oppressed, to have compassion. Um, Adam Server, uh, a writer for The Atlantic, um, had a piece this week, <clears throat> I think it was this week, um, where he was talking about that, you know, what you see in, in so much of um, a certain element of our, our politics right now is that um, there's, there's a group that plays on the human impulse to cruelty to outgroups and looking, that, looking at that as a bonding experience. Uh, cruelty to outgroups. And, and we've, seen, we've seen people use cruelty and division in order to entrench a kind of tribal identity, you know, in and out groups, who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong, who's chosen, who's not, who's deserving, who must resign to their lot in life. But Jesus's call uh, and vision for community and humanity challenges these uh, cruelty to outgroups. Instead, Jesus goes to the outgroups to heal and to bring justice. Jesus challenges uh, the, the violence of empiric thinking. He challenges the violence of domination and subjugation and the myth of scarcity. You know, the, in short, you know, that, that, that one group has power or opportunity or all the resources. And if any of that is taken away from me or that one group, there would not be enough. 
Cruelty, therefore, is often subtle and coded, and it's encouraged in order to maintain power and support and identity within a group that fears that if another group had more power or more resources, that they would lose something. Instead, Jesus' message is to reclaim the oppressed, diminished status socially, economically, culturally, through healing and restoration. And this is particularly important in an honor-shame society in which the material uh, and health realities were connected with one's status in the community. What do you care about? What makes you angry? And do you have clarity around what, you know, your anger and what moves you into action or inaction, compassion towards others? Uh, when we think about and reimagine uh, what the church could be, uh, you know, perhaps it really does look like a community of people who hit the streets on behalf of the oppressed to heal, to love, and bring justice. To use Bob's phrase again, to make the world right. Anger is a deep form of care. And I'm curious, I'm curious if this vision of the kingdom of God resonates with you. I'm curious if the call of uh, Jesus to his disciples resonates with you and how that might relate to what you care most about, what makes you angry at a time like this, and then how you see that anger function in your life, whether in, in healthy ways and unhealthy ways. And I'm sure for all of us, it's a, it's a mixture of both. But how are we becoming more human in this way of, G, of Jesus? If anger is really just a natural expression of feeling the pain of the world as humans, how are we becoming more human in the way of Jesus? hitting the streets to make the world right. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll leave it. I think we'll leave it there uh, this week. Um, And may we continue to do the work to reclaim our streets by making the world right as a community called to be Christ in the world through anger that's rooted in clarity and that's expressed through constructive action and compassion. I hope you all have a good week and I'll see you soon. Bye.